Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the Human Performance Outliers podcast. In case you haven't noticed, we are now up on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com backslash HPO podcast. You can also just click on the link in the podcast notes and it'll take you right to our page. For the listeners that have already joined us, thank you so much. Your support is greatly appreciated. Uh, We have some pretty cool goodies that we're rolling out for the Patreon supporters, including a front-of-the-line Q&A, some early podcast release options, as well as the chance to even join the show. So please consider checking out that page if you haven't yet. Also, if you do listen to us on a podcast hosting site, if you have the option, please consider subscribing. By subscribing, you'll get the most up-to-date episode as soon as it's released. Thank you very much, and enjoy the show. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, you're down in San Diego currently. Is that is that where you're hanging out these days? Yeah, correct. Perfect, perfect. Well, as you, you know, Zach and I, you know, we, you know, you're kind of a little bit different than the, the typical guests we've been getting on. We just got off with Professor Tim Noakes, who's a world-renowned scientist, oh, and, mm-hmm. and you know, he's it's a different space. And and one of the things that you know, and I've been following you now for you know, on social media for about a year now and some of the interesting stuff. And I know, you know, your background has been in the kind of the fitness and health and nutrition industry. And I mean, quite honestly, you know, that stuff to me is interesting. But I, I mean, what really has drawn me to to, to to sort of want to get you on the show is some of the other stuff you're talking about. And I think a couple of the topics that I think are particularly uh, might be of interest to the, to the listeners are the topic of free, the topic of freedom, and then the topic of, you know, how to, you know, the social media presence, how do you, do you want a tribe? How do you build a tribe? How do you maintain a tribe? And then some other stuff along those lines. So let, give us a, just a, give us a quick little background on you just real quick, just so people know that don't know who you are, can, can kind of understand where you're at. And then let's, let's start talking about that stuff if you're, if you're willing to. Yeah, absolutely. Are we recording right now? Just to... We're on, man. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> one sure, one sure. All right, what's, uh, what's going on, everybody? Um, yeah, so background on myself. Uh, so I've been a personal trainer for nine years um, since 2009. Of course, 2009 when I first started working with clients. Uh, personal training is the only thing I've ever done as a career. I've stacked up other skill sets since then, obviously, with uh, you know, sort of marketing, social media, writing, copywriting, etc. But the, the core of everything I've done is training. Uh, I've, just, I've worked with clients. I've worked with hundreds of clients. So I have a very... Uh, I have a very pragmatic perspective and filter where if something works, I want to see it work. And if something is, you know, theoretical, but it's supposed to work, but the, the effects don't play out, uh, I'm probably going to dismiss it. So that's, uh, that's, you know, sort of like a fast rundown. Uh, background before that, I was a dancer in high school. My actual degree is in dance performance and choreography. So that's, uh, it, it's given me a different take on the, the physical stuff since I realized people, people in both the fitness industry and, People in medicine and nutrition, they tend to think in very limited paradigms. Um, this, you get educated a certain way, you get told that things operate uh, within a certain sensibility, and then that becomes sort of your whole totality of everything has to fit into that box. Uh, and one thing with if being an artist is that artistry is all about exploration. It's all about creativity. It's all about how many different ways can we do the same thing. And I think that's really lacking. I think, I think creative thinking is really lacking a lot of the fields in general. Um, you know, simply because you get people where they really like to follow rules, um, and that becomes very self-limiting very fast. So that's the uh, I guess probably that, that's a short version of myself. Relative right now, I have a I have an online business. I have an email list with about fifteen thousand subscribers on it. Um, it's basically sort of like a I call it like a health optimization uh, kind of theme to list. 
a lot of it, a lot of it's on this physical health practices, diet, exercise, things I find interesting within the mental health uh, dietary space. You know, the effects of food on health, the effects of food on mood, on cognitive function, and then also to serve a extraction of life lessons from my own personal life. Um, yeah, you know, the, the travels and trials and things I've gone through. You know, it's it's kind of interesting. You know, and, and I know you you know you still you have a passion for ballet, which I think is totally cool, but. One of the things that you talk about, you know, and just to sort of, you know, kind of leave that initial topic behind, but, you know, we have this sort of paradigm built in of what it means to be successful. You know, you go to school, you work hard, you go to college, you get a job, you make money, you buy a house and so on and so forth. And, you know, I mean, quite honestly, that's what I did. I mean, I, I honestly, I mean, I worked hard. I went into a, a field that was you know, very competitive. I, I did my, I stuck my head down. I trained. I worked hard. I was successful as an athlete. You know, and then then my world, then, then the carpet got pulled out from underneath me, basically. And so now, you know, I'm sitting in there, you know, like looking at this. I mean, the world is literally changing. I mean, we look at, you know, historically, we've had people that, you know, we separated the the sort of the the, the well-to-do, the elite from the from the sort of the, the the lower classes, you know, via education and via these certain social paradigms and structure things that were sort of kept out. And so as as you know, as we evolved, we said, well, you got to go to college. You know, you got to. This is how you climb the ladder. But I think those rules are starting to change significantly. And I think one of the things we see in social media is that this allows people that provide value, regardless of what they're you know where they came from you know you you know i know and i hope you don't mind us but i mean you spent oh, no. some time you know you spent some time in jail for something stupid you did when you're you're, you're a kid but bes- oh, yeah. but despite that you can still succeed you can still be successful as long as you're providing value and you know how to cultivate that so talk to me about what do you think is changing uh you know as far as defining success and talk about freedom and you know what it means to be truly successful or truly free uh, that, that's a great question I, with defining success I think we have to, in a certain sense, remind ourselves as you know, both on an individual level in society that the the paradigm, the narrative script that you go to high school or you know, you're in school, so you graduate from high school, you go to college, you get a you get a good job. I always turn that thing script. You get a good job, not a bad job. You get a good job, and then if you can afford to, well, not buy a house, but you can afford to get a mortgage for a house, then that's the definition of successful. But we have to realize there's no freedom in that. You're you're following a script that millions and millions and millions of other people have been told to follow, um, and then with that script comes, you know, especially at this stage of the game, it comes with massive, massive debt. Um, it's very much sort of a consumerist. I mean, if I if I was a company, if I was go you know, an evil global corporation, I'll be you know stupidly uh, generic. If I was an e- evil uh, global corporation, I, I would love that narrative to sell to people because I'm going to have their business for my for their entire existence. They're always going to be buying. They're always going to be going to debt. They're always going to be needing, you know, my sort of, uh, you know, financial, uh, you know, power, you know, to sustain that dream. Uh, and then, if you have people doing that for 50, 60 years, or, or was that successful for some people? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, it was. Yeah, absolutely, it was. I think you could reasonably say, let's say, from like 1950 to, you know, maybe around 2000, that dream, so to speak, kind of held itself up. But then the, the economy changed because technology changed, because globalization changed things. And, and what you see now is that there are no more set paths to success. You know, if we define success within a sense of I want to have financial freedom and I want the freedom to do what I want to do, let's say, in the service of myself and the service of others. Uh, okay, well, how do you do that? There's lots and lots of ways to do that. But probably the worst way is to follow the narrative pathway. Uh, you know, I've, 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 I'm, a, I'm a millennial. 
I was born in 1989. I'm definitely a millennial. I've seen lots and lots of friends of mine, you know, people I went to high school with, people in college. They are still in school or they, you know, maybe they're just finishing up their higher education. They're in hundreds of thousand dollars in student loans. And relative to their, their field, their domain that they are planning to work in, they're never going to pay that back. That's going to take decades for them. So are they successful? I don't know. I mean, will they, able to, will they be able to get a good job? Maybe. Uh, are they going to have any sense of financial freedom? No, not at all. Are they in, are they rats within a system? Yeah, absolutely. Relative to myself, I I saw my dad go back. My father's also a physician. Uh, I saw him go back to school. He was 40 when he went back to school to be a doctor. Um, and he graduated when he was 47. And he incurred this massive amounts of debt from that. And this was, you know, this was a different situation. This was the 1990s. You know, a 40-year-old man, he's going back to school. Um, and he did it, which was very admirable. But then, you know, the subsequent consequences of it was, you know, the all, all the, like the the salary that doctors make and the perception that doctors are super rich. Um, yes, doctors get paid a very high income. You know, they they are very highly paid hourly employees. But you're getting paid by somebody else. So his auspices of I think having financial freedom through becoming a physician, not that that was his motivation, but that was sort of a, a presumed side benefit. It never happened for him. It didn't happen for him, and now he works within an HMO medical system. Um, and he has to, you know, deal with the nightmare that that is. And yeah, there was yeah, he 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 loves being a doctor. He's a great physician, but there's definitely a level of disillusionment to it. And plus, the other factor for him, most of his patients, eighty percent of his care is sick care. You're helping people um, through their bad behavioral choices. Uh, it, you know, it's hard to say that you're practicing, you know, medicine in that sense. You're essentially trying to convince people to stop doing this to yourself. Um, you know, in the modern medicine, you know, today, obviously. It's, it's an absolute mess. It's a total mess. So, you know, to all that said, relative to my own defi definition of success, I didn't have a vision, per se, when I was 18, 19, 20, of I want to do X. I, I wanted to be a ballet dancer. I got injured. That ended. But what I did want, or what I did not want to have, is I did not want to have financial burden. I didn't want to have loans. I didn't want to be somebody where I was hooked into the system, and I needed the system to survive. So I spent all of my 20s stacking up all these skills. In the last two years, I was able to build an email list, build a series of information products, um, and, and really just act as an educator for people and be a teacher that way, but entirely independent. And you know, now my business is you know, anti-fragile. It's robust. There, there's nothing to be taken away from me, nor is my success dependent upon anybody else. I get up. I work every day. I tweet. I write. The audience grows. The audience grows. I correspond with people. That's all my doing, and there's no way that there there's no way for any larger entity to undo that short of the internet disappearing overnight. Yeah, I mean that is uh, I think something that is is just very sort of interesting that that sort that sort of narrative, and I think that uh, you know one of the things that I that you know one of the things that I see you doing is is you know there's there's a lot of sort of uh, complaints about tribalism. You know, we talk about you're in this tribe; it's a bad thing. But in the same, but at, at what at least what I think I think I see you do is just saying, mm -hmm. I'm I'm part of a tribe. I'm I'm the leader of this tribe. You know, it's almost like you know we're changing the rules of social constructs in government because, you know, in the social media sphere, you're you're the king, you're the mayor, you're you're whatever your village, and you keep the people you want, and you get rid of the ones you don't want, and you build people that are sort of coherently attached to this this message or whatever or movement or belief system or however you want to do that and you just kind of slowly cultivate that you grow that and you call off the stuff that's not helpful can you talk a little bit about that because i you know and i and i and i do that you know i get people on there that just are idiots and i get rid of them you know and i think that's mm -hmm. 
that is something that people sort of think that, you know, you have to appeal to the masses. You have to be nice to everyone. You have to play nice all the time. You know, there's, you know, we, we can look at this with, you know, and again, regardless of what your politics are, you know, we've got a president yeah. in the United States that, that did that. He pissed off a lot of people. He dominated social media. And, you know, and now, you know, whether you like him or not, you know, he's 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 where he is. And I think there's lessons to be learned. And I see, you know, and again, I'm not a politician. I'm not really into politics and, I, and I'm not going to sort of go one way or the other about that. But mm -hmm. I think that is, you know, something that, you know, people this this sort of get everyone gets along type of thing. Sometimes it's counterproductive. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, definitely. Definitely. Um, I mean, the. One can say, you know, reasonably speaking with evolutionary biology, that the nature of human beings is to be tribal simply because on a, on a primal level, we have to on a primal level, we have to depend upon each other. We have to depend upon our brethren to survive. And we have to know that they have our backs and that we can have theirs. Uh, there's, there's nothing unnatural about being tribal that way, you know, even though it gets demonized. Yeah, I think relative to relative to, to modern history, not modern history, relative to world history, uh, you can go back to, you know, let's say. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the Akkadians, the Sumerians, uh, ancient Persia, Babylonians. Human beings have always operated within groups. And sometimes you end up with very large groups, but a group, a, a tribe, a nation, if they're going to be uh, of, of, a, of, a, of a substantial size, they have to have a common culture. They have to have common values. I, I think what you saw happen sort of the 20th, 21st century is that there is this appeal towards what you might call a corporate globalism, where because of cap and capitalism's great thing, but capitalism had this dream, so to speak, on a global level, where if we can make sort of the whole world one big tribe and we everyone can do business with everybody, that that's true. Everyone can do business with everybody, but everyone's not going to get along with everybody. Uh, not all cultures are equal. Different cultures have different values, and if you want to have a society that operates where everybody gets along, everybody kind of has to think and believe in the same things. That's that's how that goes. Yeah, that's that's really I consider that pr pretty inarguable. You can't have a divided house and have the house get along. So what you saw in the United States is over so many decades, from the 1950s onward, uh, there were groups of people that were left behind for various reasons. And there were various splits within the beliefs of you know, the population that resulted in this very fractured population we have now. Um, yeah, and that's, you know, that's, you can obviously say, you know, why did Trump get elected? Well, he, he was polarizing, but he, he appealed to enough people that he had a tribe uh, behind him. Uh, that happened, and then you're you're kind of seeing the same thing happen in Europe right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, to step away to, from politics to take on to a personal level, you know, t today we're so used to having to get along with people, like you said. We live in the super interconnected society. You can get on Facebook, you can get on Twitter, Instagram. We've all these social media channels where we're sort of digitally flooded with being around people. Um, you know, in, in, in a way, it kind of reminds me of when I lived in India. Yeah, uh, I, li I lived in India for six months in 2014. India has 1.2 billion, 1.3 billion people, 1.1. It's over a billion. Um, and if you go to a major city, even if you go to a village, everywhere you go, there are just people everywhere. There's people everywhere. Um, at a scale that we don't ever see in Western society, uh, that you're basically just operating within a crowd at any given time. You have to get along with people because otherwise you're going to be belligerent. You're going to be you know, a danger to others. You're going to be a danger to society. You have to get along with people. And the digital world is kind of the same way. We're just surrounded by people. So the assumption I think that a lot of people have is that, well, I have to get along with everybody. Everyone has to get along. You, it's, it's easy to say, but everyone doesn't think the same way. Everybody is online for different reasons. Um, and, and what you find out very swiftly is that you have, if you, if you have any kind of opinion, and I don't mean a political opinion, obviously. I mean just any kind of opinion on anything, 
uh, however mundane you think it is, there's going to be someone else who doesn't like your opinion, and there'll be someone else who probably hates you for your opinion. Um, so you could you could get you know you could be on Facebook. Now I'm I'm not on Facebook myself. Uh, I, I got on Facebook over a year ago. You, you could be on Facebook and complain about potholes in your hometown. And you're going to have someone argue with you that it's the fault of the city and the civic government. And you're going to have someone else argue that uh, you should be grateful for living in the Western United States. And you're going to have someone else get into an argument uh, that you both are stupid and why are you complaining about this. And it just devolves into this very petty, petty dialogue very quickly. And, and that's for something mundane. And that, that, that goes for everything. You've seen that yourself with you know, promoting carnivorism. Uh, couldn't be uh, being uh, obviously carnivore. You have people who are experiencing incredible, substantial improvements in their health. You know, like with, that's what's really impressed me about it. Because I've, I've seen, I've, you know, like I said, I'm a pragmatist. Um, I, I work with clients for years trying to, you know, improve their dietary choices, and then I see this model of eating where, wow, that, that's incredibly effective. And you can tell by you can tell by the labs. You can just tell by this the very sheer obviousness of the uh, physical biomarkers. They're, they're, they're losing body fat. They're not bloated. They're getting muscular. They're feeling stronger. They're moody. All these things are happening for them. That's amazing. And that is so vastly, vastly, vastly triggering for people who find it cosmically dissonant. That they're going to attack it and attack and attack and attack it. And you're not necessarily being antagonistic. It's just they've encountered something that they don't agree with. Henceforth, it has to be torn down. So what do you do with all this? You have to form a tribe. You have to form a tribe. Yeah, and companies have known this for years. Companies have capitalized on this for years. If you're a large corporation... There's people that only drink Coke. There's like there's people that only drink Pepsi. There's like there's people that are super loyal to buying Dodge trucks. You have to find a common value, a common belief, a, a commonality of some sort that you can draw people into. And then, you know, like I, I've joked about on Twitter, but I mean it, you know, being the chieftain of that or being like king, decentralization, um, you know, people, yeah, what does it mean to decentralize? It's, just, it's the idea that you're going to flatten out a hierarchy. So rather than have sort of this big layer cake bureaucratic model of government or uh, authority you just make everything equal you know to, between everybody which is kind of a cool idea I mean, you know it's hard to apply to certain things uh, you know, like what, what does that mean for you know for a tribe well a, a tribe you know classically it's led by a chief and you know, what does the chief do so you can the, so the chief does this the chief in a decentralized model of leadership does this he listens to everybody's opinion relatively equally and then he makes a decision and, and that's how i approach my business I have a large social media following, and I, people are posting and sharing all the time. I don't have a hierarchy of authority. I don't have a number two and number three. I'm not running this where I have a, a 12-man team as a business. It's just myself, so I run it like a chief would. If someone is behaving badly, they get kicked out, so to speak. Um, if someone's really cool, yeah, then they'll be interacted with more. And it, it's a very simple model. Yeah, and on a personal level, for a personal brand, it works extremely, extremely well. You know, that's why you know, I've talked about personal branding. You know, even someone like yourself, where you started the Credivory Tribe on Facebook. You've got, you know, so many thousands of people now. And you're kind of leading this forefront in this movement. That's awesome. And, you know, by keeping it decentralized that way, where you are sort of the head guy, does it put responsibility on you? Yeah, you could say that. But it also makes it very direct. It makes it very transparent. It makes it very, very transparent. And it makes people feel very readily like they are participants in something. Um, and that just goes back to that tribal model. People want to be in tribes. You know, as much as that gets maligned, and as much as that gets criticized, that oh my gosh, politics are tribal, and beliefs are tribal, religion is tribal. Anything is. If even if you try to be anti-tribal, there would be an anti-tribal tribe of people. <laughs> because then they're going to have to. They were. There would be because then you just have to start defining. Well, what does it mean to be anti-tribal? So what are the beliefs that an anti-tribal person has to think? And they're going to go have to go have find like-minded people 
who are anti-tribal nature. And then what do you inevitably end up with? Another tribe. You know, like it's you end up with like this weird inception model. By not trying to be tribal, you've created a tribe of super anti-tribal people, and it just keeps going, going, going. So it, it's not a bad thing. You know, the the thing to keep in mind, I guess, on a social level, you know, a societal level, is can those tribes get along with each other? That, that, that's a pressing question. Now, on a personal level, though, if you want to start a brand, a movement, a business, do you want to have a tribe? Absolutely, you do. That that is the way to do it. And whether that lang- whether the tribal whether the tribal designation has been used. Um, by companies before, that is what every successful company has done that has any kind of compelling brand. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing that that I always think of with the, the topic of tribes and stuff too is like if you back up far enough and look at it um, from a historical perspective, like if you look at the tribe kind of as de- described as like Sebastian Younger would talk about where, um, you know, you're you're typically going to have the mental bandwidth to kind of organize in your head approximately 150 people at the most. And if yes. you, go, you go far enough back in time, you're born into a tribe and you're in that one tribe more or less for the entirety of your life. So like you really get to know the ins, the outs of the people, the culture and everything inside it and almost become like a master of that type of a tribe setup. And then mm-hmm. as you kind of move forward in history, we start kind of you know, like progressing with different stuff and having different stages in your life. So then you kind of have like these movements in and out of tribes, different tribes throughout your life. And like, you know, you get into some of the more modern eras where uh, you know, like school comes into effect. You move out of kind of the family tribe and into the social tribe of like your your middle school, high school, and then out of that tribe into like whatever workforce you go to. And then you get even more recent, like what we have now, and you have people moving in and out of careers and jobs at a much more like frequent manner that like you're, you're kind of going in and out of these tribes at an accelerated rate. So from like a historical standpoint of kind of learning this one tribe, now it's like you might go in and out of a dozen, dozens of tribes throughout the course of your life. And then on top of that, you have what you were talking about with the access to the amount of people with social media now you can kind of be in multiple different tribes and compartmentalize them into topics. So then it's like, I think to some degree, it's like this, it's this mass amount of uh, kind of impact on, on our minds that, that make it kind of muddy the waters a little bit and make it hard to really kind of do more than scratch the surface with some things. And this is why you kind of see some people, I think, getting getting really like, Uh, chaotic on social media with a topic that they don't really know a whole lot about because we've almost been forced to make these like kind of quick rash type of decisions. Uh, That's a good point. That's a really good point. Um, Yeah. I mean, like you said that, that that number of the 150 model, um, I forget the origins of that research, but that that could see that's been echoed many times over where you can reasonably maintain somewhat of a close tie with that up to 150 people where you'll feel connected with them. Um, but, you know, what we, what we see today, too, I think, like you said, where we're switching out so many dozens of tribes of our lives is that human beings, I think, at heart would like to have one tribe, so to speak, they can return to. That, that, that's why family is so powerful for a lot of people. I mean, just just and that's that's globally. That's the mm-hmm. whole world. You know, people identify with their family. But then you know, in the, within the United States, or within most society, you've also had the situation happen where you see people where they grow up with very small families, maybe they're an only child, maybe they don't have any other cousins. They, they have no extended family. It's just some of their parents. So they're never really part of a tribe. Um, and I think part of the shift towards tribalism today, you know, why it's so powerful, why, why, why people seem to be so prone to 
people jumping in tribes and giving themselves label and then wanting to attack other tribes. It's that search for a family on a certain level. It, it, yeah, it's this very deep-seated need to want to belong to something, something you know, larger than yourself where you have people that you can say you identify with and you, you know, they care about you or you care about them. Um, and you, you know, people can laugh at digital reality and say, yeah, well, it's, it's all online. It's not, it's not real life. It's very real for people. It's very, very, very real. I mean, you know, I mean, there, there's been enough stories of people, you know, meeting their significant other online, or just incredibly contrived scenarios of love affairs and these very you know, convoluted uh, sort of uh, relationships that happen online. The, the, the digital world, you have to take it seriously. Um, so, you know, so people are online today, they're kind of in a way like so they're searching for a family. Yeah, that, that's how I think of it. I'm, I'm always surprised at the the depth of. Um, the, the, I'm always surprised at the depth of uh, what people will reveal to me in terms of how, how deep they'll get and how open they'll be about their personal problems or things they're struggling with. You know, I'll get emails. Uh, I'll, I get emails all the time. I get DMs all the time um, you know, for very personal problems, for, you know, for things where they, they really they want my opinion on. They really value it that much. You know, and initially when that happened, I was a little bit taken aback, but I realized you know, these people on a certain level, they identify you almost as you're sort of like a pseudo family member to them. They, they trust you on that level and they want your input they want your opinion they want your perspective on something um and it happens in ways that you don't expect either you know i don't model myself as being a guru person where you know, come to me and i'll give you all the answers you want yeah you know, I, I frequently tell people all the time i'm not your guru i don't have the answers you're figuring it out for yourself um you, know, you, you do the work that way but then i still look at the questions all the time yeah you know, i think anyone that's been in sort of any kind of position of authority even if it's something like for health and fitness where you're not you're not trying to fix people's personal lives that way it, that's going to happen. I, I found that out being a personal trainer. You know, for, since I was I was twenty. Um, people will share with you really, really, really personal stuff, um, and you might think, "Oh, this one teaches them how to train exercise." Right? No. If if you spend personal time with somebody, they are going to adopt you into their you know their their circle. Their one hundred fifty people. And if if you have any level of you know real connection with them, where they feel like you care about them, especially in the health sector, you know, they, they feel like somebody cares about your physical personal health. They're going to be very open with you. Um, yeah, and that, that just happens. Yeah, you know, that, that's not something to that's not something to avoid at all. You you, have, you kind of have to embrace that role. You know, the, the difficulty with it, of course, is that you know within the, the confines of I guess uh, within the confines of like personal training practice or medical practice, that that's very uh, you know it's, it's unorthodox. It falls outside the lines. You know, you're not you're not in your lane anymore. But then at the same time, too, whose lane is that? Yeah. You know, Who's? Yeah, I've never found a good answer to that. Do you tell a person don't talk to don't don't talk about that? We can only talk about these things. Why? Do, do I send them to you know, a therapist? Do I tell them you know you don't speak to me of your relationship problems? Talk to what somebody else that's a relationship expert? There's no experts for all these problems. Yeah, most of the people but the pe- people's issues that they have with themselves are always multi-level. So if they see somebody that seems to have their life together in any fashion, they're going to use that person as a role model. That's how that goes. Um, it, it, it also goes back to the tribal model in a way. If you're somebody where you reasonably, you know, like I'll say, if you, if you have, if you seem to have your shit together, where, like, let's just say family life is good, financially you're doing good, you're about something, you seem happy, people are going to look up to you. That's going to happen. And they're going to have questions for you. They're going to want to share stuff with you. They're going to want to do what you do, whatever it is that you do. You have to take advantage of that. Alexander, yeah, I agree 100% about the uh, the sort of the seeking of the family. You know, as we've seen these sort of the 
particularly in Western society, the the the, the sort of centralization of families it's, it's been it's been fractured for decades, and it's just mm-hmm. you know as we sort of migrate away, we don't have these large supportive groups that are family members anymore. And so I think I think humans do need that. I mean, I think there's definitely something there. You know, one of the things you know, if you'd asked me five years ago about, about social media, I said stupid, I, I, don't waste of time. But now you know, I, I sort of realize that this is, I mean, this is hap- This is going to continue to be a significant part of the human experience for probably from here on out and it's not going away it's going to get bigger and bigger and i think you either adopt you know or you get run over basically i think this is the way human interaction is going to be and we can decry that but it's not going to change the fact that it's going to continue to be so and so you need to figure out how to capitalize on that make it beneficial and not a negative thing and you talk about alliances you know again we'll continue this tribe sort of sort of model, you know, you talk about mm-hmm. alliances and relationships and the, and the importance of cultivating those things, you know, for whatever mm-hmm. reasons. Uh, you know, I, you know, and I've certainly personally benefited from that. I, you know, I, I best we had a phone call yesterday from a medical startup company wants me involved. And the funny thing is they're, you know, the biggest, the founders are basically plant-based people, which, which we had a good laugh about that. But I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's just, there's, there's so much there that, that there's to benefit. Now, another topic, and this is controversial again because we're we're sort of seeing these redefinitions of, you know, gender roles and what it is to be a man. And and you have very you know sort of strong opinions on what it takes to be, you know, just you know discounting sexual orientation. And stuff, but what does it take to be, you know? And again, we're not to not to not to say that it's not important for women to find their, you know, what's appropriate for. But I know you talk to, to young men a lot, and you say this is these are the important things you need to sort of uh, cultivate. And work on as you sort of develop into, into a man, into a, into a you know successful, productive, happy being. So, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. Mas- I mean, masculinity society is such a contentious topic, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll keep it sort of like I'll I'll I'll, I'll try to avoid tangenting. But yeah, masculinity has been has been under fire for a long time, just in the sense that because because modern society, Western society, changed so much in the 20th century. With technology, with the changing of work from low value work to high value work, um, you know, obviously you could say with progressivism, with feminism, which went through various incarnations, you, you, we've, it's kind of left us all in a place today where men are uncertain of both their role and you know, what makes them a man. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I've said, you know, yeah, notoriously multiple times, the, the definition of masculinity hasn't changed. That's a very eternal definition. There's two things you have to do as a man uh, that are fundamental in this. This was the same 100,000 BC, the same day. You have to be able to protect yourself, and that requires a level of physical health, competency, self-awareness. You have to be able to provide for yourself, which is, you can say, personal responsibility and dependence. Um, if you, you know, in the, in the, I'll be you know, very generic in caveman days when you had to carry a spear, and you lived literally in a cave, uh, you had to do that. that. That You can't argue against that. There was no skirting around responsibility where I don't want to have to protect myself. I want someone else to. I don't want to have to provide myself. I want someone there. What you couldn't do that, yeah. You know, in a primal situation, which is legitimately survival of the fittest, you have to protect. You have to provide. That's how that goes. Yeah, that's our, our evolution has that. That's those, those that print. Those two principles have traced their way and bent the the the, um, the foundations of human evolution for a very, 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 very long time, a ridiculously long time. So if you take that as the model, or at least the beginning of the model, what does that mean for a man today? Well, you, you have to protect yourself, which means, you know, within a certain level, you have to be in good physical health, since if you're not, you're going to suffer for it. Hey, Alexander, um, let me re- let me interrupt oh, yeah. you real quick just ahead, to make this point, because, mm-hmm. you know, and I agree with what you're saying, I know where you're going, but, you know, 
we, you know, as we grew up evolutionary, yeah, absolutely. We're in, we're in rough conditions. We had to be strong. We had to be, you know, able to do those things. But now today you don't have to be strong. You do not have to protect yourself to survive. You can sit there and order pizza from Domino's and, and never do anything physical in life. And you can still live And society allows you to do that. But I think the problem becomes in is by being, you know, in this physical condition where you couldn't pr- protect yourself in the, in the rare event that it came up, I think you become less happy. I mean, mm-hmm. I, and I don't want to sort this. I want to continue, but I'm just going to interject that there. Yeah. No, no, I, I'd agree. I mean, well, I think that you hit upon, I think, which is sort of like, if if I was to say there's a transcendent third principle to being a man, uh, so you, like I said, you have to be able to protect yourself. You have to be able to provide for yourself. Uh, what what do men do? Men build and men have vision. Yeah, and, and what you have, I think, today, modern society, you have a whole generation of young men where they, they can't really protect themselves, at least not in the sense where they're, just, they're not physically healthy. They're very dependent upon you know, their parents. The, they're dependent upon sort of the, the mommy state. Um, they're, they're very entitled. Um, you know, providing for themselves is difficult, so they've kind of checked out there. Maybe they're doing only the bare minimum. Maybe they're living with their parents. Uh, but then, you know, third thing, most critical, they have no sense of vision for themselves. Being a man doesn't mean anything to them, nor, nor do they have any kind of higher aspiration. Yeah, the thing that masculinity has always done historically is that ma- masculinity builds men build men, men can see something they can see rock they can see stone they can see an environment and they can with their bare hands quite literally they can go about changing it so men men have vision men always have vision you know like, are you are you a man of vision you know, what, what do you aspire to something that is beyond yourself just being able to support and survive um, you know and, and the men that are best at that there's the ones that get made leader those are the ones they'd be the leader of the tribe. The guys that are, you know, really intelligent. Those are the ones that get entrusted. Let's we're going to build something. They they can see things beyond the level of just what is in front of them. You know, if if you're a young man today, a lot of the young guys I I talk to, they don't have that at all. They they don't have that sense of vision. They have no sense that they are destined. They, they have no sense of destiny. They have no sense of foresight. They don't have any kind of idea that maybe they should look up to, try to do something, aspire to something greater beyond themselves. They are content with merely just existing. Um, and then at the same time, too, if they look at, you know, let's say, like their fathers, their dad, in a way, is just existing. Um, you know, maybe their dad has a has a good job. Uh, you know, their parents, they have a house. But they, they, they don't find anything in that to really role model themselves after. Yeah, and at the same time, too, it's kind of almost like a sibling society where we have a generation of boomer parents that acted like kids raising their kids. So all the kids together, society as a whole... Uh, kids are not organized. Kids are not long-term thinkers. There's no idea. There's no. There's no thought put towards legacy at all. There, there's no ability to think into the future. You know, five, ten years from now. I, I've posed that question many times to young people. You know, the young guys who you know will talk to you. I'm like, where are you going to be ten years from now? You know, or you know, even better, you know, would you be happy if you if you died right now, like you are right now? Would you be content with that? Oh, I've never thought of it that way. Okay, well, good. Now you're thinking of it that way. So ten years from now, where do you want to be? The question has never crossed their mind ever. Um, yeah, and, and to be, if you're going to be a man, you're going to survive and thrive. Really, if you're going to be a man that thrives in the modern world, you have to have some sense of vision. You have to have that. You have to be looking for something that what is my potential? What can I turn into? How can I become more than I am right now? Um, and, and that, and that with, I mean, th- in thinking that way, that comes to the whole set of, of values and principles to live by: yeah, personal responsibility, uh, you know, self-education. Uh, you know, physicality, obviously, you know, the, the ability to speak, the ability to express yourself, you know, the ability to create the creative instinct, uh, you know, this learning in general. 
you know, that's the I, I, re- I fresh referenced the archetypes before, which are uh, Jungian in nature. But yet you have to every man has to be his own king. And not every man is going to be a leader of men, but you can and should be able to lead yourself. So that means you have to be a little bit of a warrior. You have to be a little bit of a magician. You have to know how to have gratitude and love things properly. If you don't have any of that, and your sense of masculinity is, I don't know, like boobs, beer, video games, you're screwed. You're absolutely screwed. You're going to be left behind. You know, one of the, you know, when I, when I, because, you know, I get, I've looked into sort of a lot of evolutionary biology and paleoanthropology, and, you know, we saw that, you know, human beings, you know, circa around 25,000 years ago started losing brain size, you know, probably dietary related. But when we think about, what it takes to survive in the modern world now from an intelligence standpoint, it's probably conceivable that we require less less intelligence now than we did, you know, you know, thirty, forty thousand years ago when everything we did had a life or death consequence and we had to figure out how to, you know, survive every single day. Whereas right now, you know, you kinda you get into the system, you get plugged in and then you become almost mindless. I mean, you know, drive to work, do your job, repetitive job, you know, maybe you make a few decisions here and, and it it's just it's almost as though it's it's very easy to survive now, but at the same time, it's very difficult to thrive. Uh, that's, that's a good point. I mean, it, it doesn't. I, I've read various studies and observations on that. The average IQ has declined over the last hundred years, and you know, maybe even the average IQ has declined since the agricultural revolution. Um, yeah, you can see that too in classical education. A, a, a traditional, a, a true liberal arts education. Um, it was it was nothing like it is today. If you had you know, hypothetically gone to college, let's say in 1750, and, and you can argue, well, that was for the elites and it wasn't fair. And, and I, screw that bullshit. You know, if you're if you're going to college in the, you know, let us say sort of like the you know post Renaissance era, what were you going to college for? Well, you, you were probably extremely intelligent. What was the education? You were learning about astronomy. You're learning about uh, geometry. You're learning about applied biology. You're learning about rhetoric and oration, and you know critical reasoning, you know logical thinking. And then you're going to you're going to take those things. You're going to learn later about theology. Uh, if we were to meet an edu- a college-educated person from 1750 1800, they, they would blow us out of the water. They'd probably speak three or four languages. They'd have an incredible body of knowledge in regards to classical literature. They, they'd be nothing like an average college student today. Um, and, you know, and what does that mean for modern society? I, I, I don't know, but it's, I find I find the difference you know, notable. You know, modern society today has rewarded modern society today has set up everybody for a standard of mediocrity because if you want everybody to be equal and you want everybody to be able to do everything you have to lower the quality because that's the only way to make it accessible yeah the quality of college education i don't think that's any uh revolutionary you know, statement that it's definitely gone down absolutely it's gone down uh that's just what's happened uh in, in relative to like you said surviving today in the modern world no it doesn't take a whole lot i mean you you, know, you can you can get by just existing, and it's not going to be a proud existence. It's not going to be anything that's going to be admirable, but you can. It doesn't take much thought, and you know. And everyone might like me to say that generically, but so many people are hooked on the the steady dopamine drip of social media. Where I mean, I see that even on Twitter. You know, like um, yeah, I've, I, I cultivate I've, I've cultivated sort of a feed, sort of Twitter alliance, so to speak, with a lot of people. Where our, our Twitters are very you know they're self improvement. They're self improvement focused. They're optimization focused. They're education focused. Um, yeah, and, and people, you know, ca- people find us and they catch on to it and they're, they're amazed. I'm like, yeah, I never imagined that I could use Twitter or social media to really educate better myself. This is amazing. You know, but then I can sort of exit my uh, Twitter sphere and, and I can go wade out into the regular marketplace of, of Twitter 
And I, I see people talking about these stupidest, this worth, the most worthless subjects, commenting on celebrities, um, just tri- trivial statements about, you know, I mean, films, pop culture, uh, you know, uh, it is things that are, are so things that are so mind numbing. And yet there are people are copping these arguments, copping these, these spirals and, and strange loops of fun to talk about and comment on this stuff all day long. Um, you know, I, mean, I can't imagine, you know, having spending five and a half hours going on and on and on about uh, Kim Kardashian's new perf- new perfume. <laughs> but there's people doing it. There's people doing it. You know, or, or even like the, the social justice outrage culture. Uh, people, they spend all their day online just looking for things to basically just be pissed off about. Constantly. Constantly. Uh, yeah, and I, th- I think, honestly, it probably a lot of that's going to have true health ramifications, especially in the, the two and a half years or you know, two years since the election, where you have people where over the last two years, they basically made themselves mentally ill um, just because they choose to live within this paradigm of reality where the whole world's ending and everything's unfair and everything's horrible. And, oh, my God. Oh, my God. The sky's falling. The sky's falling. The sky's falling. There's no way that's good for your mental health, especially if you're doing it to yourself every single day. Um, yeah, and and what, what, are they really, what are they really doing for their existence? Yeah, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. But, you know, there's someone that was they're sitting at their computer online all the time or they're on their phone all the time. And that's what they're choosing. That's how they're choosing to spend their time. There, there's no way you're ever going to be able to be a positive participant, a citizen in society. Yeah, nor, are, nor are you going to be able to live a good life, you know, at all yourself. Yeah, I, I commented on that recently where people, um, you know, they're talking about sort of like, uh, you know, how Twitter can become this horrible addiction. Yeah, and I said this on Twitter where I don't have notifications on my phone for Twitter. I don't have notifications for anything. You know, so as much time, it, you know, it might seem like, oh, you must be online all the time. I put my phone down all the time. I have no issue setting it down for days at a time, you know, and exiting and coming back to it. You know, because I, I'm not, you know, if this is a tool, I am the one using the tool. The tool isn't using me. Yeah, and relative to the modern world today, everybody has been essentially indoctrinated into being a consumer. So all you need to be able to do uh, to get by is just exist, consume and consume and consume. Buy things, you know, buy the, buy the upgrades in the app, you know, buy the bullshit, you know, add-ons in the video games, you know, buy the fast food, you know, buy sort of this whole process, you know, superficial culture. You buy and buy and buy. Someone's profiting from that. Facebook's profiting from that. Companies are profiting from that. Um, you know, I can say that's unethical to capitalism on a certain level. But that's all you got to do. That's all you got to do to exist. You just, you consume and you expend money. Yeah, you know, the one, one thing I always think about, too, with, with some of that is I think, you know, some of it's just the growing process of having this, this access on social media. But, you know, the other thing I sometimes think about, too, is, uh, you know, like the way that we kind of have our, our education system structured now. And, you know, you're touching on this, too, where it's like um, we set this standard where we went from having like college being this kind of the was meant for like folks heading into specific areas like things that you really need kind of that that direct instruction for so like you know if you're going to be a surgeon you obviously need someone to show you how to actually do those procedures or you're going to end up being you know more harm than good uh but then somewhere along the line we kind of started standardizing college as that's where we're going to try to put everyone or even even if we back up a little bit and say graduate from high school as being kind of like this this process where you have to have these credentials in all these subject areas to graduate from high school and inevitably we have a group of people who um certainly have strengths but they're maybe not along the lines of you know 
passing a standardized test. So then high school for them kind of becomes this holding tank or a glorified daycare and they just kind of get worked through that. And by the time they get out, they're young adults with very little to no direction. And um, like, you know, I always wonder about, I used to teach high school, so I always wonder about mm -hmm. like, you know, what kind of program would better serve that group of people in terms of identifying something that they could be uh, enjoy and be good enough good enough at that they develop that interest uh, or I guess maybe 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 it just needs to be simplified where instead of saying like we have hundreds of standards within one subject area and then multiple subject areas can we not scale that down in terms of like let's identify what this person is interested in where their strengths are and see if we can get them exposure to that before they're out of high school so that when they get out of high school, they're not left with zero skills. They're left with a skill set that they can kind of target. Um, and I guess the easy way to say that is more of a trade type of a situation as opposed to like, a like you know, let's teach you a little bit about everything that you ultimately forget all of it. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, I mean, that's a good question. Um, what, what would you teach in high school, just out of curiosity? Uh, well, so I was actually middle school and high school. Uh, I did, I started out in social studies and then I moved into special ed. Then I moved into social studies and special ed. But the last school I was at was actually, the reason I think about this a lot is the last school I taught, it was actually kind of heading in that direction where they, they had uh, more of a democratic ed base where you were developing the education around the students' interests and things like that. Mm -hmm. So by, by design, then the teachers weren't kind of these like, like figureheads of I have all the information I'm going to give it to you they were more of a I know how to learn bring me your interest and we will I will help you learn about that so like a lot of times that would end up being like a lot of times the students actually end up knowing more than I would about a certain subject area and I would just help kind of you know put the scaffolding around it so that they could kind of continue to grow and develop interest and ideas around that subject area uh, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I thought about, I thought about education a lot simply because I, you know, grew up in the 1990s. We, we were all told, you know, collectively. I, I grew up in a, you know, sort of like relatively like very solidly middle class area. Um, yeah, everyone goes to college. Like everyone had to go to college. If you didn't go to college, you were kind of making enough money, and you know, like all the all the good people went to college. It was just it was very sort of generic rhetoric that you're gonna go, and no one really questioned it. And there was there were no alternatives presented. Mm -hmm. But. Um, I mean, I think collegiate education, you know, for, you know, like I said, you know, early in the conversation, uh, you know, prior up until probably the 1940s with the GI Bill post-World War II, um, you know, college education was for, it was for the elite of society. It was, that's just, it was. Uh, you can't really argue against that. It was. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it wasn't necessarily like even upper income per se, but it was for a, a ruling social class that got really educated. And then, you know, post-World War II, then you have the switch where, college is becoming more and more available. Um, GI Bill enables sort of this now middle, lower class to go to college. Um, and then in the 1980s, 1990s, then you have the switch, which is where I think it kind of very went off the rails, um, aside from uh, the aside from the dangers of sort of progressive ideology. But um, it, when college education got subsidized fully by the federal government, where your student loans were federal loans, um, colleges were incentivized to create more and more and more degrees and create more credential programs, not on the basis of there being jobs for those degrees or those degrees really serving a real purpose, but because they, they get more money. Yeah, and they create this whole layer cake level, um, bureaucratic level to education. The number of college administrators the last uh, 
you know, 30 years. I've, I've seen various graphs. Now, but it's, it's gone up something like 300, 400%. It, it's just a, it's a very similar to the medical industry. The number of administrators, middle management people who are not doctors, who, who serve seemingly no real purpose, it, it's quintupled itself. Uh, triple quintupled, you know, quadrupled. It's just an absurd number. So you have this college education system now where there's degrees for seemingly every random subject, but those degrees don't serve a purpose at all. They're, they're not useful in the real world. So you have to really call the question, what was the student even learning? You know, if you could even call it that. And at the same time, too, well, well how, how do you reform the education system? I, I've been asked that various types of periscopes. Like, what would you change? I'm like, I really don't know. Because, again, we're living in a society now where short of going to college to be a doctor, you know, or be a lawyer. Um, you know, they, they, there are certain fields where you absolutely do need the curriculum and you need that standardization. There, there are those fields, but there's, there's not that many fields actually that need that. You know, the medical industry, definitely. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to say that you can, you know, you can't become your own surgeon, become your own nurse. You, you have to go through the process for that. Um, and even, even law school, you know, to a degree, although law schools, there, there's a glut of students now that that education has gone down. But for, for so many subjects now, you, you can get educated online. You can educate online, and then at the same time, too, the, the nature of work and what a job is, that's very rapidly changed. So you know, I have to call into question, okay, college education, it's operating off of this sort of outdated model from, you know, let's say, like, 1950s. It never truly got uh, up to speed with, like, the changes in uh, modern society. So who is it really serving? And, that's, and the, again, that's not to say that education itself is worthless. Um, that's not saying that, well, college is a, is a stupid concept. Going to a college today might be stupid, not because the idea of a college is stupid, but because colleges today have very much devolved. Um, are they really preparing you for the modern world? Or are they educating you for something that really only exists in theory or hasn't existed in 20, 30 years? Uh, you, you have to ask yourself those questions. I, I've met so many young guys now, you know, sort of my, my, my Twitter syndicate, where they're in their, you know, 19, 20, 21, they're in their early 20s. Um, and some of them were in college, some of them dropped out, but they got online. And they were able to find online courses. They were able to find you know, videos on YouTube. They were able to find all these free resources to educate themselves. And now they're working in, uh, you know, they're working in copywriting. They're working in uh, you know, content marketing. They're working in dropshipping. They're working in these, these little niche fields and this internet of digital things. And I'm not going to say that's a solution for everybody. Since, you know, that, that's a, that's a, that's a, those industries exist, but there's, there's not, that's not the totality of the world, obviously. But I find that fascinating where you can have young kids who are, you know, not even 25, they can spend a few thousand dollars at most and they can be making a sustainable income within a year and a half. And then you have kids where they're going to school for four, five, six, seven, eight years and they're going to make 50K when they get out um, with $400,000 of student loans and they're never going to be free of that probably until they're 50 if they ever are free. That's, a, that's an incredible contrast. Um, you know, it's a solution to that. How should college change? I, I don't know. I don't know. The, the system at this point, I think, is so, I don't know if corrupt is the right, the corrupt is the right word. The system at this point is so weighed down by its own, by its own inertia and by sort of that rot of institutional corruption. We're in the sense that people are not incentivized to change anything because their lives depend upon it. Their salary depends upon it. So I don't know if that's really going to update itself. It'll probably break more so. It'll, I, I see that breaking down. And then there's probably going to be alternate institutions that emerge. And that's already happening to a certain degree. There's so many online universities forming. I was even talking about that with a few friends of mine, you know, discussing sort of, we were discussing creating sort of an online university and the sensibility of like how to, you know, the skills, the skills that you need to survive in the modern world. 
And, you know, and ironically, a lot of it would be going back to almost classical education, the things we'd be trying to teach people. Um, but you can create the alternatives now. You can create the alternatives now. So I, I see sort of modern, I see education sort of being both undermined and breaking up and then kind of cannibalizing and then replacing itself over the next 10, 20, 30 years. Hey folks, Human Performance Outlier Podcast is very happy to announce that we have brought on ButcherBox as one of our sponsors. Uh, with ButcherBox, you can get some high quality meat and cut out the middleman so that you save quite a bit on what would normally be the charge you'd get at the grocery store. Uh, with that, on your first order, if you use promo code HPO, you'll get 20% off plus free bacon. Sean, why don't you tell them about your experience with ButcherBox? Yeah, I mean, I've used ButcherBox, you know, for quite a while now. I've gone through several of their, their uh, different boxes. And, you know, for me, and, and by the way, that's a pretty good deal there uh, relative to some of the other stuff I've seen out there. But it has been, uh, you know, very consistently good, a good product. You know, it's always been, you know, the, the quality of the meat's been very good. Uh, for you guys that are concerned about it, they are a 100% antibiotic, hormone-free product that is a grass-finished product. The meat comes out of Australia, uh, and it has a very, uh, I find, you know, because and I'll be honest, I, I, I prefer grain-fed beef in general, but I find that this particular uh, grass-finished product uh, tastes pretty solid. I mean, it's pretty good. You know, a lot of the, the grass-finished uh, meat can taste a little bit uh, almost gamey. Uh, and I don't find that to be the case uh, with with the butcher box product, and probably because of the like the time the animal spent on grass, and they get a little bit more marbling in there, and I think that helps. And so I've had a uh, a very good experience with them, and I highly recommend them. All right, folks, head over to butcherbox.com and hit promo code HPO. Thank you, and back to the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it seems like at, at the very least, it's like we're asking a lot of. With the modern technology, like you said, you can learn so much just with the computer and internet access nowadays. It's like, do you really need to sit in like, you know, some of these like introductory classes and things like that? Um, but like the, the way I see it is, is like we're taking five or six steps to go one step. And like the when I reflect back on my own college experience, like I learned way more in the one semester of student teaching just by working with someone who had been a teacher and practicing that skill versus sitting in a classroom and, and, you know, kind of more or less jumping through hoops a lot of times. And it's like, it's always just been something I'm curious about because like, you know, how do you accelerate that process then? So you kind of get into the, to the quality stuff uh, quicker. And, and, you know, you know, ironically, like what you said, you know, that would, it, it would, you could probably condense a five-year program into two years very easily, which isn't very lucrative for a financial institution who's trying to like make money by you staying in school versus getting out quickly. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good point. I mean, that's something with the personal training world. That's why I, that's why I became such a pragmatist. Um, and and, and NASA Nicholas Taleb has talked about this a lot. He, uh, yeah, we've we've tweeted at each other back and forth on Facebook. I, I can understand like why that guy really liked fitness so much, but um. You know, with, with teaching and with learning, uh, it, it, it's it's amazing to me where I can take something like uh, applied physiology. I can I can take something like anatomy physiology, and I can reasonably within probably about ten hours take anyone, um, you know, let's just say average intelligence, and I can teach you about anatomy. I can teach you about gravity. I can teach you how the body functions. I can teach you about muscles and bones, um, you know, and force curves and sort of almost like applied physics. And I can do all that through the process of training you, um, because you're going to be learning it in real time. You're going to be seeing it play out in application. You know, I, I can take all that, and I can do the same thing with nutrition. I can take these subjects that you could spend 
a semester or two taking a class on looking at slides, you know, slogging through in PowerPoints, and you can learn it within hours, you know, on, on a functional, practical, applicable level of what I would consider you know, applied knowledge, true knowledge. Um, and yeah, that, that's, that goes faster. Then it, it makes me question, too, I think, like uh, your post, you know, post-20th century, you know, college education. I, I have to imagine, you know, based upon, you know, like my own research I've read, that if you went to a college you know, in, the, in that era, you were working with a teacher very one-on-one. So you were both studying and you were having very intense dialogues with someone who was very educated. And there, there was an interactive teaching process. You know, t- teaching today in universities, a lot of it doesn't resemble teaching you know, by my model uh, you know, at all. It's basically just it's, it's kids sitting in a room. They're being presented information. You know, maybe some people are asking a few questions, maybe. Um, you know, PowerPoint, you're just watching presentation, watch presentation. And then you're being tested, so to speak, on your ability to uh, recollect whatever was in the, the PowerPoint on the book. Is any of that applied knowledge at all in any fashion? And then everyone always has the same comment. They get out into the real world. They're put in a scenario where they have to, maybe they have to teach kids, or maybe they have to tutor. You know, a buddy of mine, Ed Latmore, he was commenting on that. That he really didn't understand physics until he started, so until he started tutoring, uh, you know, younger kids and your students in physics. And he's like, oh man, like really test, you know, you t- test your knowledge. Like if you think you understand a subject, well, teach it to somebody else. And like, that's a very, you know, it's a prescient point. Uh, in, in training, that's that is how you test your knowledge. Um, you know, relative to getting like results with clients. If I'm going to get you more muscular, more powerful, faster, stronger, uh, what, what I know, you know, it's, it's sort of like a, it's like an inverted pyramid. You, you have you have the information, you have what you think you know, you have what you think you can teach, and then at the very bottom, the tip of the spear, you have what the person actually learns, and then you could sort of you know draw two more lines under that, and then you have the actual effects that happen. So yeah, I mean, information is massive, and the actual applied knowledge and being able to produce an outcome, yeah, and, and actually pre- being able to produce something and teach something that has a result upon a person. I, that is, it's far more concentrated than anybody believes. But, but that, that, that's the ultimate test. That's the ultimate test. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, in the modern world, nobody gets tested on applied knowledge until they're really put to the situation. And very, quite often, they find out that they're quite deficient in their ability to teach what they thought they learned in the first place. And maybe they really don't know it. Yeah, Zach, I mean, I think and you guys are, you know, basically describing almost, you know, an apprenticeship, you know, basically, you know, you get in there and you, you, you train from the master and you learn how to do it and you're constantly applying those things. You know, when I was training for surgery, you know, one of the old, one of the things we would often say was, you know, see one, do one, teach one. You know, you'd, you'd watch an operation, you do an operation, then you, then you would try to teach it, you know, and then, and, you know, and it wasn't always one, 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 but it was basically that, that sort of paradigm where you, you know, you, you didn't master it until you could teach it. And I think there's a lot of you know, uh, wisdom in that, in that sort of, sort of thing. And so, um, let's talk about, you know, we've got these, you know, these people that have kind of gone through life and they've, you know, they, they've got the house and they've got the two cars and the two kids and they're doing their job. Are they successful? Is that a definition of success? How do you define success? What, let me ask you, let me turn the, turn the table around to you. Cause in 10 years from now, cause you asked this question to your you know, people that did 10 years from now, where do you see yourself? How are you going to find your own success? You know, from just any way you want to do that. Yeah, my definition of success, you know, my, my 10-year plan is I'm, I'm going to have my own company or a series of companies which are going to be under a big umbrella of, you know, sort of health optimization. So, you know, where does that fit into my definition of success? I guess on a, on a meta level, my definition of success is I want to have the freedom to do whatever I want to do. Just It's that simple. I, I want I want absolute freedom. You can't tell me what to do. I do what I want to do. Um, you know, and, th- and that requires certain things. It requires financial sustainability. Uh, that requires creating the tools to you know to teach how I want to do how I want. Uh, so there's there's no inhibitors to what I can create. 
you know, on sort of a practical level. Yeah, I, you know, I've, I've started that recently, but I have a series of health companies focusing on health optimization, preventive medicine. That's one avenue. Yeah, I have my art form I practice, which is ballet, which is another. Um, yeah, having a family would be sort of a, you know, a third uh, trying to that. So, you know, so success in that way, it's a question of, you know, what, what, what are the limits of what I can become? I, I've never conceptualized success as being a fixed state at all, where if I can just get to this level, well, I'll be successful then. I don't think of it that way. Yeah, there's always another level. There's always another level. Um, yeah, and you have to imagine too this because of the the, the mean regression of, of life and calamity and disaster and unfortunate events. Life is always going to try to knock you back down a few levels. Yeah, that that happens. Um, yeah, and the rug can be pulled out from underneath you at any given time, especially if you're very dependent upon an external system to support your supposed success. Yeah, so I, I could say on a simple level, success is it's freedom. Yeah, it, it is it is pure freedom. Uh, success on a practical level, what are your means to create and support and sustain and provide for yourself? And are those means your own means or are they somebody else's or are they the systems? You know, for a lot of people today, we're, now I'm, I'm, I have no doubt they are content with the idea that they have a job, they have a family, they have a house. But they can lose those things. Those things can be taken from you. Um, you know, job security today is at an all-time low for a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people found out the hard way. You know, same thing with the housing market. You know, homes can lose their value. Does real estate always go up? Yeah, sure it does. But uh, if you took out, you know, double home equity loans, uh, <laughs> your home go down value. That's not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good thing at all. Uh, so you just—it's another way that you are uh, in debt to the law of your system. What do you think is? What do you think are the keys to achieving that? You know, I mean, there, there. I know we talked about, you know, one. You know, you got to be physically there. I mean, you got to take care of your health. But what, what are the, what are the other things that'll get you? You know, to to this level where you can say I have freedom. Obviously, you got to have. I know you like to call it fu money. You know, basically, you know, you have to be financially uh, where you're not dependent on that. But what are, what are the other parts of the, the, the pieces of the of the uh, the pie that, that that sort of gets us there? Uh, I would say if if you're going to think about having freedom, um, the thing that I guess the idea that sort of changed my you know whole philosophy was uh, when I was like eighteen, nineteen. Yeah, it was, and this is a very generic story, but I read I read the book Rich Dad Poor Dad. I went to a seminar. And it was, I'm not going to talk about employee mindset and, you know, rich mindset. I'm like, the thing, the, the profound idea was, how can I create something that scales? What is scalable society? You know, and what I, what I realized, what I learned is that th- those people who have, you know, freedom, those people who are, are wealthy, so to speak, who have money, who are rich, who own companies. I mean, like I said, I grew up very middle class. My, my idea of freedom, you know, when I was younger was that if I worked at a good job and someone paid me $300 an hour, let's say, I'm like, wow, that's so much money. Like, I'm, I'm free. But you're working for somebody else. You're, you're, you are doing work, and you're being paid only a percentage of your work. Um, so you know, are you really free? Uh, you, you, that money can enable you to do a lot of things, definitely. You know, is that job guaranteed for life? Uh, no, probably not. Nothing is really guaranteed anymore at all. So the thing, that, you know, the thing that changed my philosophy, changed my way of being, was what can I create that scales and that is mine? You know, and what I realized with that is the one thing that you always have ownership over is, is your own knowledge. You always get, you, no one can take that from you. If you have a skill set, if you have something that you've learned, if you have something that you, you have mastered, and you can construct a business, businesses around that, that, that is yours. That is definitely yours. Um, yeah, you know, and what does that mean on a social level? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I can't encourage everybody to say, well, you know, just everyone work for yourselves. That's never going to happen. That's never, that's never going to happen. I'm under no illusion that that will ever happen. Um, you know, people are people are oftentimes quite happy to work for somebody else, and, and that is that's just normal. That's normal. It's a, it is always going to exist that we will be 
you know, cogs in a larger system in some sense, in, on some level or another. Um, you know, the expectation that, or the belief that everyone needs to be sole entrepreneurs, that, that's silly. That, that's a silly, silly idea. Um, you know, that, that, you know, that aside, however, yeah, I think if you do want true freedom, yeah, you, you have to work for yourself. You have to create something that is purely yours and you have to find a way to scale your knowledge and have a compounding effect on it that what you do within the hour has an effect beyond the hour that's done it. Yeah, and, and you see this in you know, various fields. You know, with the things that we look up to people, even, you know, let's say something like, like an actor, you know, someone that's like a famous actor, uh, which can be a funny example, but if they're in films and they're famous, you can watch those movies over and over again. They are in the public consciousness over and over again. Acting is a very acting. I mean, you can argue against this. But acting is somewhat a very anti-fragile. It's a very anti-fragile career. If you get famous, you can stay famous, and you have drawing power, and you can make you know absurd amounts absurd amounts of money. Um, you know, at the same time too, if you're gonna anyone's ever started a business, if you can provide something for people that is a that is a service that is valuable, and it's valuable today, and valuable tomorrow, and valuable the next day, that's a massive business. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I criticized the HMO medical system earlier, but guess what? The people that came up with the idea of medical insurance, that's a brilliant idea because people do get sick and people do need you know, financial assistance and people do need medical care. Yeah, so we, there, there's value to be found all you know, in the world all around us, you know, within every kind of interaction. Yeah, but can you see that value and can create something that fulfills that value? You know, what you're doing right now with, you know, um, you know, with sort of the carnivorous health movement, that, 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 the idea of carnivorism, that's a very powerful idea that can change millions, tens of millions, billions of people's health. That's not going to go away. You know, so, so the power is in ideas. It, it's not just in. It's not just in doing, like, say, like, like the work that's done. Um, you know, from nine to five. Yeah. You know, so if you want to have freedom in the modern world, you have you have to be someone that is a purveyor and a creator of ideas and valuable ideas, and you have to test them out in the marketplace. Yeah, I mean, and not to turn us into a carnival conversation, you know, and, and certainly, I mean, it's it's just it's not slowing down. It's kind of continuing to no. to grow, and it's it's certainly scalable. But let me just, because um, we talk about success, but look, I, one of the things I see you talking about often is how not to screw up. You know, what are the things you know these people, you know, whether in their twenties or forties or fifty, what do you what should you not be doing? What's a waste of time? What's what's shooting yourself in the foot? And then you know. But because I think we need to uh, give some time to women as well. Can you talk to, to women as, as far as what it means to be successful as a woman and, and, and that sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, young people, yeah, this, this is always a hard question. On one hand, you want to say, you want to tell someone that they're young that, you know, take, take your time and sort of like you, you, have, a, you have a little time in the world. That's, that's a very common uh, sort of refrain that we're, we're told by somebody. Um, but you don't you don't have all the time in the world. You, you don't. Um, you know, especially within you know, the modern world. And I don't think maybe we, I don't think we ever really had all the time in the world. I think that's sort of like a consumerist sort of indoctrination is to get people to spend money on experiences. Honestly, um, you can get vastly. I've told you know, young people this: young men, young women, you, you can get vastly ahead in your twenties if you focus and you do, if you don't fall into the the, the party slash experience slash music festival slash recreational drugs. Uh, slash drinking slash consumerism sort of way of being in your twenties, uh, where you're you're very content to struggle and oh look at me I'm adulting. You need you need to cast all that aside. You need to, you make it a point when you turn eighteen when you get out of the house that I'm going to financially support myself. I'm going to struggle. You know maybe you're gonna you're, you're gonna have to work the the, the the startup job or the the beginner you know entry level job. You know whether that's because of something else whatever. But make a point to financially support yourself. Start educating yourself about. You know, just the basic skill sets of how to get ahead. You know, learn financial mindset. Uh, you know, learn how to speak. 
learn how to be learn how to be effective in communicating, dress well, get your health in order, have good friends. You do all that in your early twenties. By the time you're going to hit thirty, um, and you know, stay debt free would be the other thing. You know, don't take on massive debt. Don't spend tons of money on credit cards. Um, if you can avoid getting student loans, you know, avoid them completely. Uh, if, if college is not working out for you, get out of college, learn something else. Uh, you know, learn a trade. You know, get into real estate. There's lots of businesses you can start when you're young and you can grow them, and they're going to be more valuable in five years than a, than a degree would be. But get yourself, get yourself self-sustaining physically, mentally, spiritually, financially, socially. You do that, you you can get to thirty. You are going to be so vastly ahead of the game uh, compared to other people who are basically playing catch up. Um, there's this weird phenomenon now where thirty is sort of like the new twenty, where you're not an adult until you hit thirty, and then you have to get serious. No, get get serious at twenty. Get serious at twenty. Uh, you know, speaking to young women, it, it, that's a difficult scenario because, um, you know, despite my criticisms of you know feminism on many levels, there is a very real, um, there is a it is a very real state of affairs that uh, young men today are they are not up to speed, so to speak, in their twenties at all in terms of being uh, being able to provide. Uh, they're, they're not, and, and neither are the women. But you know, if, if you were to say, you know, I would say that. Yeah, it's the man's role to be a provider. Uh, most young guys in their 20s are vastly, vastly, vastly mature. Yeah, you know, I, I, I do have a very a smaller, very strong following of female readers. And, you know, they share various stories to me, various stories about, you know, trying to date or, just, you know, the, the, the quality of men they meet. And, and everyone's just boys. Everybody's stuck in guyhood. Um, yeah, there, there are no men that way. You know, why are there no men that way? Various reasons. But there's no, there's no men that way. They're looking for a man. They're not finding any. It's, it's boys. It's guys. Um, you know, so for, you know, for women, you know, what do you do? You know, one, you, you have to be able to work for yourself. You have to be able to financially support yourself. Yeah, you know, I've that, that's an interesting conversation I've had with young ladies where, you know, maybe they're in their early twenties and they're very upfront. You know, and then they they would like to be married. They would like to start a family. You know, being younger, uh, they're they're not operating under the auspices that they're going to have their first child at twenty five, because they understand the health ramifications that come with that. They understand that their fertility declines every year after thirty. Uh, they, they didn't fall for that that stupid narrative. But at the same time, when they're 21, 22, 23, 24, well, who, who's going to marry them? You know, they're, they're trying to go in, enter into the dating pool. Um, and what they're finding is, you know, guys, like I said, who are guys who have who have boyhood levels of maturation. So what, what do they have to do? Well, they go to college, they get a job, and they realize that, you know, they're going to have to financially support themselves. themselves. They can't depend upon a man to do that. Uh, and at the same time, too, there's also the larger reality that, Living uh, in society is expensive. You know, people need to have two incomes to survive. You know, raising children isn't cheap. So then you have you have those issues you have to you know you have to take on. Um, you know, long term is, is my husband's you know salary going to be able to support the two of us? Uh, maybe maybe not. Maybe you're both going to have to work. You know, unfortunately, uh, you know the the earning power of the dollar the buying power of the dollar has gone down. You know, um, you know, you, you know real wages have gone down. Cost of cost of living have definitely gone up. So those are issues you have to deal with. So I mean, the, what I would advise the young women is very similar to what I would tell the young men. You, you have to financially take care of yourself, financial mindset, physical health, especially for young ladies. Um, you know, it's because if you, if you do a planning on having children, the, the your state of fertility and health of your child is going to be wholly dependent upon your state of health when you get pregnant and when you're trying to get pregnant. I, I think for I think that's why for I think that's why infertility is such a huge issue now over the last so many years, where women are just really, really, really unhealthy. They're overweight. They've been on birth control since they were 14, 15. Uh, their bodies are just kind of like hormonal disasters that way, unfortunately. And then when you add that in with being with men being, uh, 
with a large percent of men, of men being, essentially being like hypogonadal with really low uh, you know, sperm motility, well, then you got a perfect setup for people not being able to get pregnant. So take care of your health. You know, get health, financial mindset, social circle. Don't spend money on the, you know, the industry of consumerist experiences. Uh, and again, if you do that, you're going to be head of the game. You're going to be a mature lady, uh, a mature young lady. You're going to have something to offer a man in your attainability you know, in regards to your partner. You're going to, you know, you'll hopefully find someone of higher quality that way. That, that tends to be the effect. You know, the more that you, the more that you self-improve, the, the more that you progress yourself that way, the better quality of people that you meet. There's sort of a, sort of a, a law of attraction effect that takes place that way. Um, but, but that's what, that's what you have to do. Um, and, and you can't rely upon, uh, you can't, you can't rely upon society being there to take care of you. That's, that's another factor to it. Um, you know, too often there's sort of this default where things will just work out and, I, I think women more often than men subscribe to sort of magical thinking. Um, yeah, I've, I've very often heard that from my female clients where, you know, they're in their thirties, you know, maybe mid late thirties and they're very regretful about various decisions they made. They're unmarried and have children. And, you know, when I ask them, well, yeah, well, you know, like why did it happen? Why did your life just turn out this way? They, they just assume stuff would work out. You know, I, I think, you know, men, men, obviously there's, there's obvious biological differences between the sexes. Uh, you know, men tend to be more goal driven that way, linear thinking. You know, women oftentimes, they, you know, as, as hardworking as they can be within, you know, maybe their career, their education, there's also this certain lackadaisical attitude where they just assume that they'll find someone that marries them. They'll assume that Mr. Wright will come along. They'll assume that Prince Charming, you know, I guess sort of like walks into them in the street and sweeps them off their feet. Um, and it doesn't happen. <laughs> it, it doesn't happen that way. If you, if you want to find a partner, you're going to probably have to look for them. Yeah, and, and same thing for the men as well. Um, if you if you if your plan is to be a father, if your plan is to be a husband, you're going to have to learn how to filter and vet and you know align yourself with a you know with a with a quality woman. Uh, it, it, these things just don't just happen. You know, this, I, I think the the interconnection of digital reality gives everybody sort of this false abundance um, attitude that there's so many men out there and there's so many women and we can just you know of course it'll be easy to find somebody. No, not really, not really. Um, just because you can swipe a thousand times, you know, in one hour, that, that you're not getting to know anybody. You're not actually meeting anybody. Um, it's all it's all very illusionary. So you, you have to break out these delusions, and that starts that starts first and foremost with taking care of the fundamental elements of yourself. Sorry. Where's my mic? There we are. One of the the, the points you were talking about was social circles, and I know I've seen you talk about. You know, just cutting off people out of your life abruptly. You know, if there's people that are not sort of helping you, just get rid of them as soon as possible. Can you speak to that a little bit? I mean, you know, some you know people have friends they've had for years that ultimately are, you know, not in their best interest. Sometimes it's even family members. I know you talk about. I've seen you, you mention that many times. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? How to do that? Why it's so important to do that? Yeah. Well, with the. Um... So I'm not the first person to say this, obviously, but you are the you are, you are the sum, so to speak, of the five people you spend the most time with. Um, you know, humans, we, we're, we are mimetic creatures. We, you know, whether we admit it or think it or agree with it or not, we copy those around us. The, the, the people that we surround ourselves with, they are the ones that direct your thinking. So and it, it works out, so to speak, there's sort of a power law. It's about, it's about five people. Five people that you can maintain close personal connections with at any given time. Like, you know, truly intimate connections. So those five people, if they are people that are, you know, let's just say they're aspirational, they're goal-driven, they're positive, they take care of themselves, they're, they're people that you can look up to, 
you, you're quite likely to have a good life. And, and you see that across every kind of industry with any kind of you know, industry tie any any successful person. That's a very common thing that gets told. You know, you're the five people you've spent, you spend the most time with. Uh, the way I've characterized it, you you are the sum of the energy of the five people you spend the most time with. Since there's a there's a personality interject exchange where positive people they encourage people they're high energy that it makes you want to be that way too it makes you feel that way too um yeah so that's like i said many times that's arguable you can't argue that spending you can't argue that spending time around bad people is going to be good for you it's not what i've seen in my personal training practice working with clients is that people's failures to fix to optimize people people's failures in regards to their health quite often it traces back not to their own personal struggles, but the struggles they have with those around them. Family struggles, friend struggles. Um, I, I call it the shadow force. You have the shadow force of people who are your friends and family, and they end up being saboteurs in their life. They're trying to sabotage you. And maybe it's not, and sometimes it's very explicit, sometimes it's implicit. But you have people where they want you to stay the same. They want you to stay the same. They don't want you to change. Your own self-improvement reflects negatively upon them because they get insecure about it. And then they come up with all these different ways to attack you for it, whether it's implying that you're being shallow, whether it's implying that oh, you're not the person who you used to be or you've become selfish, um, you know, implying that uh, you know, maybe, you stop, maybe you stop spending time with your drinking friends. Oh, you're not a good friend. You're not spending time with us. You know, maybe you start eating healthy again. And then your family takes it sort of like a rejection. that You're, you're rejecting the family. Who are you? Uh, there's all these different ways that people try to make you feel guilty. And you have to be able to recognize this. These, these people, they will undermine your efforts. They'll make you feel insecure about yourself. They'll fill you with self-doubt. They'll have you questioning what it is that you're doing. Even if, you know, like, you, like, you know, if you have, you can have great intentions for yourself, you're trying to get better. But then they're going to come along and say, you know, what you're doing is shallow. What you're doing, it's not true to yourself. This isn't really who you are. Yeah, that's, that's always a very classical one. If you, ever, if you ever try to change yourself, if you ever try to, let's say you try to eliminate sort of toxic personalities from your life, you're going to get hit with a whole bunch of accusations that you're shallow, you're a narcissist, you're sociopathic, what's wrong with you, you know, how dare you, you know, a real friend wouldn't do this to me. Um, you know, but th- these are people, they're, they're parasites. They're parasites. They're, they're underminers. Yeah, they're, not, they're not benefiting you, and they're certainly not benefiting your health in any way. Um, you know, so what do you do with these people? You, you have to say, well, I've told people, you, either you have two things. You, you have to eliminate them entirely, and that, that can mean breaking up with friends. That can mean having family members where you really, really, really just don't talk to them. You limit interaction. And if it's not completely, you know, cutting them out of your life, you have to set hard and fast boundaries. You have to set hard and fast boundaries. Maybe you see people do social functions. Maybe, you know, you talk on a limited basis. But you do not allow them to interfere with how it is that you're living your life. And everyone, everyone that we surround ourselves with is, is a mirror for our own value. And they're a mirror for our own sense of self. So if... If I'm very la- if I'm if I'm lazy, if I'm unhealthy, if I'm content with where I'm at in life, and uh, my standard of being is pure mediocrity, and then I look over at you and I say, "Damn, Sean's really, you know, Sean's gotten really fit. Sean's, you know, he's getting his life together. Wow, Sean's doing things." Well, I could take that two ways. I could say, "You know, good for you, Sean. Like keep doing that." I could encourage you, or I could make I could feel very insecure about it, and I can it can make me look in the mirror and realize, "Am I doing anything with my life?" And then I'm going to find ways to tear you down for it. Because if, if, if I get you to stop, then I don't have to deal with my own insecurity. Um, so what, what should you do? Well, you have two choices. You can say, I'm not going to speak to you anymore. Or you just set a hard pass boundary where anytime the conversation turns that way or any action turns that way, you cut the person off. You cut the person off and you hang up the phone. And I, I've, I've joked about that in emails where you know, people ask me, well, how, how do you set boundaries with people? 
Well, you do this. When a person starts disrespecting you and they start, you know, embarking on these sort of these negative reactions, you hang up and you don't speak to that person. You know, or you say, you know what, I'm leaving and you exit the room. And that's how it goes. You, you, have to, you have to set a marker, a line in the sand where you don't cross this line. You know, and, that, and that always seems very harsh to people. Oh, my God, I, well, I can't do that for people. I'm like, the reason why you can't do that for people is because people have been using you your whole life. You know, for people that, have, people that have independent personalities, this isn't usually difficult for them. Um, you know, if you're somebody where you, you have a sense of personal leadership, that's why I emphasize that so much for you know, both men and women. You have to have a sense of personal leadership. If you have personal leadership, it's not going to be a huge problem for you to, to set a boundary or to say, you know what, this person isn't good for me anymore. So I'm, I'm going to cease that relationship. If you're someone where you've been a doormat for people your whole life and you are so dependent upon these relationships to feel validation because you just you need it, you need it, you need people to you need to feel accepted by people, you'll, you'll end up being accepted by people who use you for their own gain. You're going to be, you're going to be manipulated. You will. Yeah, and you see that oftentimes I think more so with women than men where – they have social circle, social circles. They have families where it's a service like a poisonous kind of scenario. It's a bunch of relationships that are you know to their detriment. But you know they need the friends, and you know oh my guy can never handle being alone. And you know what well, if I get rejected? You know women are much more inclined to be agreeable than men that way. Um, but, you, but you have to do it. You have to do it. You have to do it because your health and your life depends upon it. Yeah, and if you can't make those hard decisions, that you you know what the outcome already is. It's it's how you are right now. And if you are in, if you are unhappy with your current state of being. What are you going to do to change it? You know, so setting boundaries that way, you know, cutting people out, it's very much a do or die situation. You know, you, you, you choose your own life, you choose yourself, or you let other people choose for you. You know, it's, it's it, you know, I, I see that, you know, it's kind of interesting because I watch my kids, you know, I've got four kids and my, my one daughter, I mean, she really, really wants to be liked by other friends and I, you know, I, and I, you know, and she's a, great kid i mean just a beautiful strong athletic fit healthy you know just wonderful kid but her biggest issue is she wants to please too many people and you know i, I i'm constantly telling her that's not your job you know so it's just it's, it's interesting to see how you know you know maybe maybe it's more so with girls and men and i've seen that as a physician you know i'd see women that would constantly sacrifice their own health you know to 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 to, to, to be doormats for other people basically is what happened. And so I, you know, you just hate to see that happen. And so I think it's, it's a very good service that you're doing, uh, you know, getting people to, you know, really stick up for themselves and then, and then say, what does it mean to be successful? What does it mean to be happy and healthy? And I know I've benefited just from reading some of your stuff, you know, even I'm, I'm a guy in my fifties, but I mean, you never stop learning and, you know, there's no, there's no sort of saying where that source has to come from. And, you know, I think it's been very good. So let me, um, yeah, I appreciate that. Zach and I are going to be, we're actually going to be down your way uh, tomorrow in, in, San, in oh, yeah. San, San Diego for a couple of days for this Low Carb USA. So if you get a chance to swing by, we'd love to meet you in person, maybe maybe split a steak or something. Well, not split, but eat, eat <laughs> or something. Double <laughs> down on some steak. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, <laughs> you're going to have a hard time getting me to share a steak with somebody. But, uh, but let's talk to us because, you know, we, we've been going for a while now and maybe we'll pick this up in another episode down the road. But talk to us where people can find you. I know you have an email thing that you're, that you're, uh, you know, building. And I like to see the. I'm just enjoying seeing your success and how you're, you're sort of climbing up the ladder and, 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 and sort of, you know, proving, you know, what you're, what, you know, proving what you're saying is, is can be helpful and working out. So let, let people know how to get a hold of you, how to find you, what other stuff that, that they might need to know. Uh, yeah, so the easiest place to get a hold of me. Um, so I have a, you know, Twitter I'm very active on, uh, AJA underscore Cortez. Um, you know, that's my Twitter handle. 
I, I do have a website as well, which the website is where if you, uh, the email, my email list is my primary way I correspond with people. I've got, I, I email pretty much every day, sometimes twice a day. I got about 15,000 email subscribers. Um, that's just a constant thing I always do is emailing. Um, you know, basically it's like a newsletter, you know, daily, daily newsletter. Um, and that's on my website, which uh, this is a long bit, Alexander Juan Antonio Cortez.com. Which I'm having that redone uh, in the future to like Ajax blog, but that's what it is right now. But uh, that's my that's where you sent for the newsletter. Uh, and then I also have the link um, on Twitter as well. And those are the, the two main uh, places. Yeah, obviously I tweet a lot every day about just various subjects, stuff I'm reading. Stuff just, a, lot, a lot of my tweeting is from client conversations. Um, you know, it's sort of it's extracted from you know just my interactions with people and then sort of sharing lessons that way. And then the newsletter is always newsletters has much longer form that can be anywhere from. A thousand to five thousand words, where I'll get very deep into various subjects. Um, you know, like the subject of you know how do you how do you set boundaries, like the shadow force of you know uh, sabotaging people. I've written about that a few times uh, in immense detail, and then also you know more you know service topics. You know how to deadlift. Um, you know looking at various diets and ways of eating. You know nutrition. You know uh, health, health, especially nutrition research stuff that's upcoming. Uh, you know I talked about like with cognitive health and digestive health and just anything anything I find interesting in that fashion. I'm always trying to point out to people how the whole body and how your way of living is interconnected. You have know, a very holistic or you know, globally minded approach. So anything that can sort of expand people's consciousness to to grasp that and to make those positive changes, I'm always going to share that kind of knowledge and information. But those, those two places, Twitter, AJ underscore Cortez, and then the website, uh, AlexanderJuanTonioCortez.com. Well, good stuff, man. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's 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 shut this one down. Maybe get you on down the road. Is is there's more stuff coming on, and, and we'll see what's going on with as as you continue to progress. Because I, I think it's just fascinating stuff, and it's a little like I said. I was talking to Zach before the show, and I said, you know, we we've got a kind of a niche, and we're we're capitalizing on it. But I think it's also nice to bring in just some other stuff because we could have talked about training and exercise and blah blah blah. <laughs> and I mean, but you know, and, you know, I, I would just say just do the damn stuff that works, the basics, and, and you're going to be pretty much successful. And you can put your spin on that any way you want. But, mm-hmm. but I mean, I think this stuff is to me deeply much more fascinating and ultimately more impactful. You know, I think mean, I think it starts in the mind, and you have to, you know, you have to start there, and then once you, you know, have a plan, then you can then you can set that plan of that plan in action. I think what what you're trying to get out there is just that very message. Yeah, definitely. Your, your, your mentality becomes your physicality, becomes your life. Perfect. Well, Zach, what else? Anything more? No, I think that's that's it. Like like Sean said, some very interesting topics, and even even though maybe a little different than some of our normal stuff, I think that's kind of cool to get those ones out there every once in a while as well. And um, yeah, we'd love to have you back on down the road. And we'll oh, definitely. definitely. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely share the links to those those channels you shared on the show notes too, so listeners can find you easily. Um, but yeah, otherwise, uh, thanks again for coming on. Hey everyone, Sean and I are excited to announce that Human Performance Outliers podcast has partnered with Thrive Market. Thrive is an online grocery store that focuses on making high quality grocery shopping easy. By going to thrivemarket.com backslash HPO and shopping, you not only support the HPO podcast, but will also receive 25 to 50% off traditional retail prices. On top of that, with every annual membership, Thrive will donate a free annual membership to low-income family, teacher, or veteran. If you don't make up your membership fee and savings, Thrive will refund your membership fee. The link can be found in the show notes. Thanks for your support. Hey folks, thanks again for tuning in to the Human Performance Outliers podcast. Just a couple quick notes before you leave. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at 
hpopodcast at gmail.com. That's hpopodcast at gmail.com. We're both also on social media. On Twitter, you can find me at ZBitter. That's at Z-B-I-T-T-E-R. And you can find Sean at SBakerMD. That's at S-B-A-K-E-R-M-D. We're both also on Instagram, where you can find me at ZachBitter. That's at Z-A-C-H-B-I-T-T-E-R. And for Sean, it's at SeanBaker1967. That's at S-H-A-W-N-B-A-K-E-R-1967. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast.